0: You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we sit down with Moaz Hamid, who is a mission-driven technologist and strategist, solving for the future of jobs, accessibility, and medicine, as well as the role of robotics and artificial intelligence. Previously, a general manager and partner with Google, Microsoft, HTC, Dengard, Nordic Capital, and Palm. On today's episode, we talk about the Venture Studio model. We talk about what is disability tech. We discuss organizing and running a corporate accelerator program, and strategies in raising a fund. This and much more on this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, so, well, let's begin. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. All right. So for our audience out there, I've known Moaz for maybe, I don't know, five, six years now. So we were just having a catch up <laughs> call. And, you know, fifteen minutes in the call, I just said, hey, you know what? We just have to record this. We have to turn the a podcast. So uh, for our audience out there, I mean, Moaz, could you give us a little bit of background of your career up until this point? And then we just basically have to share everything you're working on. Cause I mean, it's it's kind of crazy all that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time.
1: Amazing, amazing. Pleasure to be with you, Sean. So uh, we know each other, by the way, I think more than six years. Uh, But yes, definitely. uh, I've been in the tech industry since I was 17 years old. I started my career with Palm, the BDA company. Shortly after, I joined Nordic Capital Investment that created Dangar Telecom to lead the investment in HTC that created the smartphone brand, one of the first early smartphone brands. And then joined Microsoft to do the same with Samsung, LG, Sony, Ericsson. Shortly after it moved to Google to do the same for Android, to work with all of these brands, moving to Android, build their operator and enterprise strategy. So ended up working with HTC, Samsung, Sony, Ericsson, um, you name it. Any smartphone company brand, I probably touch something or work something with them during this time. Also, a smartphone was still new, so we needed to do a lot of investment in application that make the smartphone usable. So that's created my first experience in the venture world. We ended up working with Skype, basically pushing them from hardware company into software company mapping companies to make sure like uh, you have a maps in your smartphone. Uh, later on, all this work basically came rushing to me as I joined Google and started working on Android to basically make sure we have global maps. We, ha- we are acquiring startups globally to doing point of interest so we could have a global map very quickly on our Android devices. I left all of this shortly after working in Google Search and Google Apps to focus on entrepreneurship. Was I left for a family reason initially. And shortly after it, I started meeting all my neighbors in San Francisco. As I'm going running in the morning, I met you, Sean, and I met a lot of amazing entrepreneurs. And basically, very shortly after it, I realized that um, the startup ecosystem is just very much focused in San Francisco. That's the only place to build a successful startup. While our neighbor to the south were really struggling to build startups they not having the funding. They don't have the resources. They don't have the programs. They don't have anything of the amazing things that we have in San Francisco. So I started building entrepreneurship program. Initially, was with Google in Google Campus. And then we met a, a group of guys who were building an amazing program with Techstar. We helped take their curriculum and basically turn it into a program as well. So I was teaching initially with them the program grew very quickly to graduate over 400 startups since we last met so you could imagine like this short amount of time been amazing uh, journey by itself then our neighbors uh, who were very close to us uh, was snapchat was building their program as well so i started working with snapchat to build their uh, creative uh, media technology program that is looking for startup who are building, building creative use of technology in the media space. And it was also an amazing experience too, to work with amazing team at Snapchat from Alexandra to Mike and uh, basically a super amazing team. And then more entrepreneurs who are building programs and corporate who are building programs start to reach out to basically learn about how can they build their program. So today, as we speak, I, I help teach and build program with almost over 10 different programs globally, including emerging markets. And in the middle of all of this as well, COVID happened. And when COVID happened, it changed a lot of the way that we do programs because now suddenly all the programs need to turn virtual. We can't bring people anywhere anymore. So we became a heavy Zoom users. And Remo, if you heard of Remo, was a startup from Hong Kong, was building a virtual space that allowed people to to meet and use tables a uh, funny funny way that they thought about it so basically they were replicating like a, how you run a program in a in a normal environment so Remo became like the savior basically for us at the beginning of the pandemic of how can we build the program and do it successfully and doing running mentorship session in a in a way that it's easy for the entrepreneurs to jump from table to table to get up in the stage and learn in the stage to go back and sit in a table with their mentors uh, however, in the middle of all of this, also, a lot of people were losing their jobs. And uh, the city of Los Angeles was basically, they have an amazing program under the mayor office that was keeping tab of all at-risk use. And it created opportunities for them from summer jobs to summer programs and all of that. So when COVID started, a lot of people were losing their jobs. There was no summer internship anymore. And these kids, they are from foster care, LGBTQ a single mother with multiple children, working multiple jobs, and now she's losing her jobs as well. Um, these kids could be in the street at any time. So it was a big burden on Siri to figure out how can they support all of these youth. Luckily, I had a friend, a dear friend in Mirgar City's office at the time who told me about this. And I suggested to him with uh, another friend that we built an entrepreneurship program for these kids. Initially, we were thinking to just keep them busy in that summer where uh, nothing happening. Uh, but at the same time, we could teach them something so they could be busy and learning. Uh, so they are not just staying at home doing nothing. To our surprise, we put up a website just to see the willingness of the kids to sign up. Within 24 hours, over 140 kids signed up. So I had to call them the next morning and tell them shut down the website. We don't have a program yet. We don't even know what you're going to do for these kids. So we sit down the website and we had a quick call, all of us, and we discussed, OK, this is what we're going to teach them, something simpler than an entrepreneurship program, where we talking about ideation, problem solving, and see where the kids want to take us there. They might have a lot of idea to help us build this program. So luckily, the mayor office trusted me and, and the city trusted me to basically build that program. And the kids have a lot of idea. As, as you know, kids. So some of them were interested in fashion. Some of them were interested in writing. So we were like, who is the best writer we could meet? So we found like a few Broadway writers, a few music writers to come and teach them about writing and how can you turn an idea into a song? How can you turn an idea into a Broadway play? But at the same time, uh, what about fashion innovation? What's happening in the fashion industry? The fashion waste, how can we deal with that? And how can we come up with new idea and creative idea around fashion and where fashion is going next? So ended up running workshop for this as well. In top of problems that they could see in their city, how can they take these problems that when they open their door, they see in their neighborhood, how can they turn these ideas into solution and validate this solution and build them into proposals and business models as well? So they helped us basically build one of the most incredible entrepreneurship programs. But I have to say, I would have not been able to build it half as good as how it was without actually the knowledge of building the larger entrepreneurship program for corporations and for entrepreneurs. And also, thanks to COVID and us being virtual and suddenly everybody stuck at home, it was so easy to reach out to people and them being available. So at some point, we were literally like reaching out to people the night before the session and they were still available to show up to teach a session the next day which was super impressive because the group of the students were very large with 140 students. So we need to break them out into different sessions and different workshops. So the same topic, we needed more speakers. So you reach out to a Broadway award winner and he's available the next day. You reach out to the chief designer of Verawang, she's available the next day. So it was super impressive um, uh, for us to basically build this program. And it helped us a lot, basically... The kids were very touched by it. So a lot of them basically wrote thank yous letter for the mayor office. And it helped us a lot also learn about how can we improve the series and programs that are happening in our city to support youth um, and especially at the risk youth, and, and teach them about innovation and ideation as they think also about the future of jobs in their series. And the mayor allowed us to open it and make it a public uh, event for the graduation ceremony. So other countries joined as well and other cities joined to to learn what we did, but also a lot of friends uh, joined. And one of these friends was a dear friend who was hard of hearing. And she basically took me for coffee after the session and she completely loved what we did for the kids. And she was, what about us? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, all oh, my friends with disability lost their jobs during, in this beginning of COVID. And in the summer, a lot of us don't have jobs, have nothing to do. And we want to learn about tech as well. And we have really great ideas. And she really had a great idea, as she was mentioning to me about the way that she was learning. So I was, uh, I was thinking initially is when I went home, like maybe I should find her a job first, uh, at least to help her be busy through this COVID time. So after picking up the phone and basically calling a lot of dear friends in the venture world to ask them about their investment in the disability space, to my surprise, a lot of them were shocked of me asking the question. They haven't heard about uh, someone investing in the space or building in the space. So I had to stop basically the conversation and go back into research and basically come back to them again with data, with what's happening in the world and numbers that actually tell the story. And without even diving deeper into research, I was coming back to them, and it's not about my friend anymore, but I'm talking about a billion people with disability, hundreds of millions of them looking for a job right now. As we speak, 80% unemployment and all of this data basically was very shocking to a lot of them. And as you know, the venture world live on data. So for them not to see this data before, was also shocking for a lot of them, especially if you're a digital health fund. It's a surprise that you don't have this data in front of you. And that's our surprise also. And that was because uh, in the United States, we don't have much research on the area in comparison to our Canadian neighbors. Tell us number of disability per individual with a disability, age group of people with disabilities. We could go dive deeper on data in Canada. Well, we can't do any of that here in the United States, unfortunately. I reached out to another friend who was experienced in research. Uh, Her name is Jasmine. And basically, Jasmine helped me build a small team to start doing research, our own research and triangulated data around disability. So we could tell a relevant story to the venture world that they could understand, that they could realize there is an opportunity here. So after the research, basically, uh, we put all the research together in a presentable and nice way. And we start talking to all the venture funds about it. So a lot of them asked us to start our own fund. But as I end the calls with them and I go back to think about it, how can a fund help fix this? A lot of people who are unemployed, a lot of people who want to learn about tech, and they have no way to learn about tech today. A lot of people with great ideas that want to turn them into startups, but because of their disability, people look at them differently and investors look at them differently. Um, so. I realized after a long brainstorming session with uh, uh, another colleague, his name is James. uh, He was my colleague at SoftBank Robotic. And basically, we realized a venture studio is the best model for this. And uh, as we were testing the model to see if it will work for what we want to do.
0: Moaz, right there, could you go in a little bit what a venture studio is for our audience that might not be familiar with that term?
1: Absolutely. So a venture studio is basically a place where you need to solve a problem. So you have a thesis of a a specific problem that needs to be solved and you ideate around it. So these ideas, the one that you are able to validate and the validation successful, you spin them out of the venture studio as their own startup. This is the existing venture studio model that is being used continuously. We're We changed the Venture Studio model a little bit to tailor it for what we need to do, as we have a lot of people with great idea, with different ability, and we have the resources to be able to support them. So we find we have the problem. Our problem is is disability and technology in the disability space to make the world more accessible. So that's our thesis in our Venture Studio. We look for entrepreneurs who are building in the space. A lot of them usually gave up on fundraising because um, investors didn't understand what they're working on or the scalability of what they're working on. So we find these entrepreneurs who are building on the space. We bring them in-house. We already have a list of problems that we need to work on. If we could find an entrepreneur who are working on it, that's perfect for us. We become his resource and his investor to help him build that startup through the validation process and then spin him out again to continue his journey by himself. And for the ideas that we are not able to find uh, startups or entrepreneurs are building in, these problems still need to be solved. So we start our initial work and research on them and then teach entrepreneurship for entrepreneurs with disability and people with disability who are interested on solving this problem and turn them into entrepreneurs who are running this startup. So that's what we do in our Venture Studio. But then we realized very quickly that within the disability space, we also meeting rare disabilities that are not affecting a lot of people. But it's, if we solve them, you dramatically enhance the life of these individuals. So we needed to think about it differently. So our legal team from the venture side suggested that we bring more of the foundation side of the legal. So
0: as why would you have to... Bring in a legal team to change the model of your venture studio? Why not just say, okay, we're going to change it and then go from there? Why, why have to bring in a legal team?
1: So that's because you are accountable for your LPs about your fund return, and your LP have the expectation of what you're doing. So you cannot use their money in a charitable way. So you need to use it in a specific way that will retain and generate this return and do your best effort to create the best return for them. So it doesn't allow a lot of room for you to to do a philanthropic work or do problem-solving work. And that's currently, unfortunately, the problem with the venture world is a lot of it is focused on the return versus the problem itself and how can we solve problems. A lot of investors, majority of them, hopefully there are with good intention and, and really want to solve problems. But the weight of the fundraising and taking this capital from LPs is, is very heavy on an individual as an investor in a fund. And if they don't succeed and create this return, they very likely not see fund two. So they have to focus heavily on the return and where is this, the rocket that is about to take off so we could jump in it and just take off with it. While a lot of issues, they just end up being left out. And it's like, we're leaving them out for who? And that's like the biggest question that. Just kept nagging on me when we I started uh, thinking about this. If we don't do it, then who gonna do it? And how can it I will create a fund in the disability space, but I'm gonna be leaving over ninety percent of the problem out there not solved. and I'm just giving the capital to the one who are coming up with the scalable solution, which is gonna be a very small number of them. Um, so having the venture studio itself to think about this and what's next for this entrepreneur, that's become a, a different way of doing a venture studio where I bring you as an entrepreneur who are focusing in this solution and I'm working with you in this solution, but I'm thinking about what is next for you to get you to Series A and Series B. And I'm starting my own research for you in this area and my own development for you in this area. So by the time you are ready for that scale and to get to your Series A and Series B, You have all of this innovation that will help you scale and grow much bigger and create that bigger company that will generate that return for our LPs. But for the ones that are not scalable, then most of the venture world will tell them no. And that's what I'm supposed to do to them. But I can't do that because it's still a problem that needs to be solved in the disability space. And because our main intention is the problem solving, then I have to figure out a new structure for them. So that's where we found Venable as one of the most experienced law firm in the foundation and philanthropic work to come and work with our venture law firm, Cooley, to basically help us create this new structure um, that allow us to do the philanthropic work and uh, build these ideas and problems and small startup into sustainable small businesses. But at the same time, work with the one that will generate the return for our LPs with the permissions of our LPs, of course. But the Venture Studio give us the freedom and the flexibility to work with both of the sides.
0: Okay, so then the investors invest in the Venture Studio, but the Venture Studio mandate, it's so broad that it could work with mom and pop kind of standalone businesses it could work with that possible unicorn to the moon business, it can basically cover everything as long as it's solving that problem that's written when you went out and talked to the investors, that, that disability or that group.
1: Absolutely. And it's still under the same team, under the same structure, the philanthropic side, we call in it the foundation side of movement venture that allow us to basically take all the small businesses that will, the startup that will become small businesses And at the same time, work with the ones that are venture scalable, but also through the same structure. And as we do the philanthropic work, giving grants to these entrepreneurs who are building these small businesses, let's say somehow the problem that they were solving for this small number of people ended up, they ended up realizing that actually this solution also worked for this other problem that's impacting millions of people. So it allows us to also move it from here, from the philanthropic side into the venture side through the same structure. And that's the work that Kooli and Venable did for us um, to allow us to do this at a scale and a very easier way for us to navigate all the regulation and the laws uh, that restrict us from doing this today.
0: That's interesting. Do you think this model is going to be copied and shared? And are there going to be a lot more of these philanthropic venture studios popping up in the years to come.
1: Absolutely. Not only that, actually, my goal and my dream with this is to now we're overwhelmed with a lot of work and a lot of to do. But my goal is like to focus into publishing all this structure and the work that we're doing. So we could teach it to other people that want to solve other problems from housing to poverty to a climate crisis that we're having today around the world. So we have so many other problems that this structure could be relevant to that we could teach it to others so they could build something with it. But at the same time, it's like not just teaching it and, and publish it, but also become that model that, is, that they could use to, to prove that this model works also. Um, so we have to really like, keep doing our great job in the work that we, we've been doing and basically to become that role model for this specific model of venture.
0: With that, though, I mean, the mentors and the services that are normally provided at Venture Studio, do they overlap with kind of the more mom and pop set kind of day to day businesses? How are you providing resources for all the companies because they have such different trajectories?
1: Yeah. So luckily, from teaching entrepreneurship program, you learn actually the same resources apply to all of them. And, in my experience, I went up from entrepreneurs all the way to kids, and it was still relevant to them and in the way you dumb it down. So the work is repeatable, and it's continuously repeatable. A lot of venture studio, even from how repeatable is the work, they ended up moving away from their thesis and become like an all industry kind of venture studio as you if you take a look at a few of them under a microscope, especially the larger one. So, the, But initially, when they first started, they started with a very clear thesis, a very clear mandate. And then because of the repeatability and uh, the shareability of this knowledge between all of these different industries, you start to see, okay, what can I take from this industry that will apply better in this industry? So you start bringing innovation to new industry. And that doesn't happen usually in the venture world. It usually happens in the venture studio side. And it's it's like it's the best kept secret, like Venture Studio itself as a model is like one of the best things that not been talked much about because of this innovation. Like I am building in the fintech industry and now I have a division that building in the health industry. But I learn a lot here in the fintech side, which is relevant to the health side. And by the way, this model that we do in the fintech is actually will help us generate more return in the digital health side. So you start copying the models between your fintech to your digital health side. And that's, that's why Venture Studio, they grow rapidly and they become like this behemoth that your biggest problem is what, what you're going to do with the money. So you ended up expanding into more vertical and more vertical and more vertical. But we didn't like that way of doing it. We really want to focus in the disability space. So we decided to actually build the trust under the foundation of Movement Venture that will help us basically take this access capital and then allow us to reinvest it back again in fund two and fund three and fund four in the goal and the hope that we become an evergreen in a shorter amount of time so that's the that will become like the big success story of us building this model
0: Moaz, you got to go back and explain that a little bit more it's that's fascinating what you did with the trust and feeding the money there and the investments, I'm guessing, are coming from the trust. So it's always circulating there. And I'm guessing there's great tax advantages and all this other stuff. Okay. Could you dive deeper into this model? Because it's fascinating.
1: Absolutely. So when uh, when you're starting a venture studio, usually a lot of venture studio, they treat the venture studio itself as a fund when you could actually treat it as a startup. So you re- really don't have to go and complicate like the models of the venture studio itself. And then when, because we went into the philanthropic side, so our model is became like really complex because it has the philanthropic side and it has the retain and it has the managements and uh, management companies and the investment companies. So it's a very complex structure and that's where the legal team simplify it for you and make it easy. So I give you the, the easier explanation of how this whole thing works. So under the philanthropic side and the foundation where we do all this work, we also have a trust. And the, the, as we are making investment, we also making a lot of donation and all of this work actually from the Venture Studio and the foundation. When you are tackling a problem that it's a serious problem, it's actually become a tax deductible work. So this allows us to basically, as a Venture Studio with a large return and big ownership in the Venture Studio, Versus the fund where you have a smaller ownership and you give in a lot of the return back. In the venture studio, you get to keep all of that. You get to return capital to your investor, but also keep a lot of this capital back. So some of that you could divide it back again between the team, but there's still a lot of capital that you will return back into something. So a lot of the time, this capital in, end up creating new vertical in the venture studio. But in our case, we are not interested in your vertical We are interested in solving problems within the disability space is our main focus. To stay with that focus, so we this learning keeps getting, carrying, and growing with us as a movement venture. Basically, what we did to help us stay focused is this, the creation of the trust. So the trust ended up becoming helping us stay focused with the access capital going back to it. And it's becoming an investor on the venture CEDU and LP on the fund. It helps us basically free ourselves to just stick with what we want to solve and what we're becoming good at and becoming better at and becoming excellent at as we keep going in this um, industry. And then help us basically think about what's next. So, what's next is how can we reduce the unemployment with people with disability? So, I cannot do this work from the venture studio, I cannot do it from the fund. But now that I have a trust and I have a foundation, I am able to invest some of this money to also educate entrepreneurs who with disability, who are interested to actually become the next wave of entrepreneurs who are facing these problems that we are solving today, to become the creative people of of ideas and solutions to solve this problem, and then use them to become the CEO with all the training that they got from the foundation to become the CEO and the leader of this startup. An example, like one of my colleagues who joined us recently, Lex G. Light, he's the Olympic world record holder for the longest jump by a blind athlete. And he was telling us about all the athletes with disability. And even without disability, athletes usually, by the time they're 35 years old, they're considered old. Messi is just now in the World Cup. Everybody thinking like this is his last World Cup. How old is he? 35 years old. It's, it's like, is he still a kid? He's not like that grown up yet to to say he's retired. So it's the same in the disability space as well. So a lot of them is already retired, like retiring at a very young age, but they are proven. They prove themselves as world leader. They prove themselves. They're going and participating in the Paralympic, representing our countries globally. And then they come back by the time they're 24, 29 years old. A lot of them are retired. So what can you do with a proven leader? You could teach him some of the skills that is needed to become an entrepreneur and help lead the team and build the corporate and company around him, helping him solve a problem that he faces every day as he's traveling around the world with his disability to do sports and basically compete around the world. This is how we're thinking about it and how we're thinking about reducing the unemployment. And it's basically, it's the big mandate of of our fund is to actually reduce the employment by 50% within the next 10 years. So that's that's our main goal, and our main mission in Movement Venture is today at 80% unemployment for people with disability. If we do a good job here, not only that, a lot of these ideas and technology that we're building, regardless of it's for accessibility or disability, they also need to be accessible. We have federal laws and mandates that actually penalize companies that are not building accessible solutions. For example, recently, Twitter had to settle a lawsuit for Twitter Spaces because Spaces, it allows us to communicate via voice, but it was not captioned and it was launched there to the world to use. So a deaf individual opened the app and now suddenly seeing these blinking lights doesn't make any sense for him. He cannot know actually what we're talking about there. And these lawsuits are not cheap. We're talking about $10 million, $20 million settlements of this lawsuit when they could have actually tested this idea initially with a team that is focusing in the disability innovation and disability technology. So can we prepare these teams for them to to be ready for employment, to be the beta tester and the ideas and creative team to help them innovate within the apps that they help. So we could help reduce this unemployment together. Um, Also all these technology out there, they all need to be accessible today. Can we use this technology that we're building in the venture studio with the teams that we are mentoring and teaching to actually fill up and help this corporation as they grow and go publicly to become more accessible and more usable for more people? Because we are all heading that direction as we age. And not only that we all heading that direction, there is not enough young people today to actually fill up the jobs as we're heading toward retirement. In the United States today, we have more people over the age of 60 than under the age of five. Within the next 10 years to 20 years, we'll have more people over the age of 60 than over the age of 18. So more people heading rapidly towards retirement, and we have no people to fill up these positions and these jobs. So that's going to start impacting our GDP globally. Countries like Japan, they're already facing this. They've been struggling with it for decades. And we have not been paying attention to it. So we need to raise the alarm today. We need to start to pay attention to it today because tomorrow
0: is too late. Moise to go back, I do have a question about when you were raising the funds from the LPs to tell them, hey, we're going to put your funds in this trust. Because part of me is thinking, were they thinking it was just a charitable donation at that time? Or were they thinking, because a venture fund, you have that harvest you know we'll invest we'll deploy the capital over a year or two it'll grow over five we'll harvest it get the money back seven to ten what whatever the structure but with the trust there's at least maybe i'm wrong but there's no set date for them ever to get that money back i mean were they just looking at this as a donation
1: no 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 let's correct you there so the venture studio have a fund also so the lps who are comfortable with a fund they go into the fund Family offices, usually they're open to Venture Studio, they're open to funds, so they could split their capital, they could give some capital to the fund, they could give some capital to the Venture Studio. But we have a fund fund that run as a regular fund, just as everybody familiar with it. While in the Venture Studio is where we're doing all our play and innovation and all of that. As soon as the startup is ready to raise capital from the fund, we send it to the fund and it starts to raise their capital there. However, as we're raising capital, our biggest focus is the Venture Studio itself. So the Venture Studio itself, when we're raising capital for it, initially, we thought also that because we were thinking the same way you were thinking, that when we go to a corporation, for example, and raise capital from them, they will want to give us the money for the Venture Studio. But when we were meeting them and telling them that we have a fund, we have a Venture Studio, we have the foundation, a lot of them was telling us, tell us more about the foundation and what you're doing there. And for them, is a tax deductible. Anyway, they're going to pay this money for taxes or they could donate it to do something good with it. So they could invest in the Venture Studio and corporation love Venture Studio because it become like the creative engine that is external to their corporate. Um, as you know, internal creative engines, they usually fail to see like what's coming and what's next. But a lot of them depend on outside creative and outside creative is where can you find it? So the best place for them to find it is by investing in venture studios. So when you take a look at venture studio around the world today, you you will notice like majority of the investors in venture studio are corporation. So to our surprise, a lot of the meeting we've been having with corporate, they were interested to give us money in the foundation, the venture studio and the fund. So they were willing to split the capital without us even asking. We were trying to direct them into the venture studio. But instead, they were tell us more about this, tell us more about that. And then the conversation moved toward the infrastructure and then thinking about, OK, how can we do this and help you with this? Because we need it anyway, and especially as we're building in the disabilities is not an option. You need to have your app more accessible. You need to have your company more accessible. It's not a small number of people. It's billions of people who are you completely ignoring by you not being accessible. A lot of your users, as they age also, they become with disability. Over 46% of people over the age of 60 today are with disability. So you're ignoring them in your ads, you're ignoring them in your product, you're ignoring them in your website. Uh, and it's it's the majority of the capital heading right now. It's people aging, becoming with disability, sitting within a, in their retirement capital that are now not spent on your business because your business is not accessible. So everybody's interested on the space and learning about the space and how can they improve their company from culture to product to innovation that will help them reach to more people on the disability space. And that's what influenced their decision to split their capital between the Venture Studio, the foundation, and the fund.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, now there's one thing that when we were catching up before, you know, deciding to hit record that I think our audience would really benefit from. You'd mentioned when you're in L.A. that you met a lot of fraudsters when you're there. Oh, my God. And I think, I mean, I've heard stories like that here in Silicon Valley. I've heard stories all over. But actually, we've never talked about it on this show, kind of that, you know, predatory actions towards entrepreneurs. Can you kind of share some stories, kind of what you saw, what, you know, experiences there for our audience as a warning, as education for for people all over the world listening?
1: Absolutely. So you meet a lot of people who basically claiming they're going to help you with your fundraise, they're going to help you build your product, they're going to help you get to United States with your business, especially for your international listeners. And a lot of them basically start billing you right away. Uh, they start billing you, giving you the wrong advice, giving you the wrong direction, taking you longer to get to where you need to get so always like, uh, and that was the number one reason what got me to start into looking at entrepreneurship. LA is not so far from Silicon Valley. And you, we were meeting a lot of people with website and legit, and it has LLC titles and all of that, claiming that they're investor, that they will help also with fundraising from other investors. And then you join the meeting and we, before you realized the person sitting in the meeting is a patent lawyer. So they didn't even identify themselves as patent lawyer. And you're coming now and giving them your hard work and what you did. And it's like, you don't even know what they they do with it because you never meet them again. And as you know, a lot of entrepreneurs ignore the patent side and the trademarks and all of this, because in the initial, when they're starting, it's all just a struggle. So always look for people that are like the best way you could find it is like by asking other entrepreneur building in the space, how how did they start their business? What helped them most? What program helped them most? There is a lot, oh my God, there is even programs that charging people today and all what they do throughout the program is put your business down. That is your fault as an entrepreneur that you're not able to build this business to the level that you could fundraise for it. It's not our fault as the program to ha- that you are not succeeding. And that's what they do for you as an entrepreneur in their program. This, is, this program shouldn't exist. And it's so many startups going through it today. And it's, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to actually know that there is programs like this exist. So that's why I decided to basically dedicate my time and completely dump my high tech career to focus in building entrepreneurship program and make sure these entrepreneurship programs are free. So I will give you all the support to launch your program as long as you're not going to charge for it. It's going to be a free, free program for this entrepreneur. And you're going to do it right. We're going to bring the right people to teach the right topic that, for these entrepreneurs that need to learn. One of the best programs that we created through this was Founder Boost, uh, run by Gene and, and Blake. And it's one of the most incredible programs. It's a free program. It doesn't cost you anything. It's running in 13 countries around the world today. Over 400 startups graduated from it. Over $80 million raised from it. How much did Founder Boost made from it? Zero.
0: That's fantastic. And one thing that was really interesting was that mentioning people say, yeah, well, we'll help you find investments and then sitting down and the person across wasn't an investor. I've heard so many stories of people paying these advisors, monthly retainers, and getting nothing out of it. And you know, someone like me investment banker, I just hear stuff like this. I just shake my head. I I just can't believe how many fraudsters are out there. But you hear stories like this all the time, like really all the time. Unfortunately, it's not talked about. And it's really like,
1: I love that you brought it back up again. And we're talking about it right now. Uh, Do not give people advisory agreement that you don't know. It's like You need to dig into them, um, see other entrepreneurs who they claim they work with, who they are really, where where is their business, are they successful business or not, Uh, before you give them this advisory agreement. Because I I met entrepreneurs who gave people advisory agreement, they barely know. They just met in two meetings. And uh, because they claim X or Y and Z, they think it's like, okay, I I met the best person who's going to help me fundraise. And in the end, they're just receiving travel bills, expenses for a dream of fundraising, which is basically never going to happen because it's not their intention to to fundraise for you. They don't even know how to do it. They don't even know what's wrong with your business. So you meet them, the entire meeting is like, they're telling you how amazing is you are on your business to help you basically sign that agreement or to give them that check so they could go and fundraise for you. So I, I highly recommend you to slow down with whoever you're talking with. Take your time. Take a look at who's their contacts in LinkedIn, who's other entrepreneurs said about them. What else do they do in order for them to help entrepreneur? Do they even have the background to help you as an entrepreneur? Did they have the operator background to help you scale your business? Do they have the fintech background that will help you raise the capital before you actually make any of these decisions? And uh, look for the free programs. that are available everywhere from the SBA all the way to programs like Founder Boost, who's running in so many different cities today.
0: I love that the doing the due diligence on the person before signing agreements, checking their LinkedIn, asking for recommendations or referrals. Just I love that background. Mo as we're coming up on time. Any any last advice, guidance out there that you want to leave our audience?
1: Absolutely. Don't give up on on your business, especially if it's something impacting your life and it's a problem solving. And it's uh, and it's working for you. It's working for your friend. Just continue. The money will come. Don't worry about that. And and the wrong people in your life. Don't worry about that. Just just stay focused in in your work and don't use them as an excuse. Because end of the day is it's your time that you wake up for every morning to to fulfill this dream that that you you are building. And trust me, you just stick with it with the right heart and, and the, the universe will align around you and bring you the right people that will help you uh, get to where you need to get.
0: That's fantastic. And with that, for our audience out there, well, I'm not the host of the Silicon Valley podcast. I'm a mid-market investment banker focused on mergers, acquisition, growth capital. Connect with me on LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV or go to uh, our website, thesiliconvalleypodcast.com, where we give you up to date on everything that we're working on here. And with that, Moaz, I wanna thank you for your time on this week's episode of The Silicon Valley Podcast. Thank you, Sean, and happy holiday. Thank you for listening to The Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only Before making any decisions, consult a professional.